We are in a series uh, called A Better Story. Uh, I'm going to kind of preach part one of today's message and the better part two Pastor Rachel will give uh, next Sunday. Uh, the better story is this. It's, it's this understanding that we live in a world of lesser stories and competing stories. There, there are stories all around us that you can grab onto as the story of your life. And the temptation that you and I have to fight is that we will ultimately give our entire lives to a lesser story, not the ultimate story. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the love of mammon, uh, how mammon and resources and money can be a God. It can be a tool or it can be a God. It depends on how you use it and see it in your life. And a lot of things can become a lesser story. A, a pursuit of a relationship or a marriage can not just become a good thing. It can become the story of your life that you're pursuing. Uh, politics, instead of seeing it as a tool or an instrument to be used, uh, a lot of people, that's their story. It becomes their identity. There's this constant temptation to make these lesser stories the grand narrative of our lives. And that's called idolatry. And we have to fight this tendency to make lesser stories the story. Uh, some of you know this about me. I grew up in the Norman, Oklahoma area uh, where the University of Oklahoma is. Like my uncle played on the 85 national championship team. All my family were OU fans. And so when you grow up in a college town that's based around football, how many know you become a fan? You have no choice, right? It's like you grow up at the stadium. Everybody's like, it's, it's all about football. And so I grew up like at 10 or 11 years old, I was walking the stadium with the, the tray of like Coke and Dr. Pepper selling them. And like people would stop me. They're like, how old are you? I'm like enough, old enough to count your money, right? That'd be $10, <laughs> you know, like that's how we were raising money for missions. And I would walk up and down and I would do the first half. And then I moved to the upper deck concession stands and we would raise money for missions. And if we worked the first half, we could watch the second half game. This was in the nineties. We were horrible at football back in the nineties, but I didn't know any better. I still had fun doing it. And then I moved outside the stadium where I sold programs outside the stadium for FCA. It's just like all fundraising stuff. And so like, I was a huge OU fan, still am today. Games, we would go to the away games, all the kind of things. I don't care if you're a Poke fan or OU fan. I'm not, that's not what I'm telling this story. What I'm telling this story is this, is how many know there's a, there's a fine line between becoming a fan and like it, it, it like taking over your life? Some of you have been there? Some of you right now are being convicted because of what I'm talking about. Some of you Chiefs fans in the room, I see you after a loss, right? I literally got so bad in my life. I was into my 20s, and if OU would lose a football game, I didn't want to speak to somebody for days. Like I would need like a cone of silence around me for like 48 hours. I would start avoiding certain people and like I was like so invested in it. And then like one day I'm like, this is, this is pathetic, right? This is not something that's adding value to my life. This is something that is like an idol. And it's really hard to admit when something you love and passionate about, like there's a fine line between passionate and it being your identity. So you with me? And to admit that like a football, a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds are like ruining your week. Like that's pathetic, Right? But you have to like tell yourself because sometimes it's like you give yourself to these lesser stories. You may give yourself to a cause. Well, guess what? It's a good cause, but it becomes your identity, right? It can become even like working out, body image. All these things are good things that can become ultimate things. And so you're constantly looking at your life and saying, okay, what are the things that are becoming idols in my life? What are the things that, man, you know what? It's just out of balance. What are the things that I'm attaching myself to a lesser story that will never fulfill? If you didn't know your story, let me give it to you real quick. This is our story that God has redeemed us and all of creation to bring him glory and to bring his kingdom to earth. This is the story that we get to be a part of. This is God's mission. This is the overarching story that gives our life meaning and definition. And every other story falls under this story. 
No other story will satisfy your life. This morning, I, I want to preach on a, on a principle that God uh, brings up and Jesus teaches on over and over again in Scripture of exponential multiplication. That Jesus, when he comes to us, he teaches in parables. Why did Jesus teach in parables? Because parables really uh, would do several things, but they would tell us how the kingdom of God operates. And some parables of Jesus are really rational. Some of them make sense. Even to outsiders, people who are not Christians, they make sense. And some of them are very counterintuitive. Right? When Jesus tells you, well, the first will be last and the last will be first. If you tell that to somebody who's not living in God's kingdom, they're like, you're an idiot. Right? Like nobody gets in the back of the line. Everybody wants to be in the front of the line. Is it really blessed, more blessed to, to give than receive? Because I really like receiving stuff and it's really great when someone buys you a gift. Right? These, these are counterintuitive things. But Jesus is teaching us, this is the paradox of the kingdom of God. Things are not as what they seem. And you have to lean in and practice it in order, in order to understand these truths. Well, one of the truths that Jesus teaches is this principle of exponential multiplication. That the kingdom works through this ripple effect that doesn't work through addition, but that God takes what we have and exponentially multiplies it for kingdom use. In fact, many of you are here today because of this principle at work. Like somebody invested in your life. Like you had a parent or a grandparent or a youth pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a teacher or a professor or a trusted friend that invested, they planted seeds of the gospel in your life that over the years begin to sprout and develop. And you're here today in relationship with Jesus because someone invested in you. Anybody be like, yep, I'm here today. Like the people in my mind are starting to go through the mind, all of the people that invested into me. And now we get to be people of the kingdom of God that invest in others. Like this week, I'm on the phone with one of our church planners. Some of you guys know this. Back in 2015, we launched Seed Network, a church planning network out of City Church. We have planted 30 churches across the United States. We had one of our churches plant two weeks ago in Kannapolis, North Carolina. I've never even been there. Don't know where that's at. I think it's near Raleigh. And we were able to give Pastor Angela a, a check for $15,000. We coached them every week. Our staff was available to them. And she's telling me on the phone this week of the life change that's happened, of the broken people that are walking through their doors who are coming to know Jesus. Isn't that awesome? We get to be a part of that. And some of you are like, well, I didn't do anything. You know, you did because you're a part of this body. Like you being a party and giving financially and giving resources and serving a part of this body allows us to go plant in churches and cities that we've never even been to see people come to know Jesus that we don't even know. That's the multiplicative effect of the kingdom of God. It's not just one plus one equals two. It's one equals a multitude. It's that God takes your one and he multiplies it way beyond what you can see and what you know. And let me tell you, most of the time you're never going to see it this side of eternity. Maybe one day when we get to eternity, we'll see just this exponential effect of the kingdom of God at work. And I love it when I get to hear stories of what God is doing. Now, I want you to imagine with me, if you will, that the disciples are walking with Jesus. They're going to these towns on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I guarantee you, if I was walking with Jesus, I would have been asking myself the question, how is any of this ever going to make a difference? How is what we are doing, these little towns, these fishermen and trade towns, how is this going to create a global movement of the gospel? Because here you are, you are ministering in the, in, in the shadow of the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire the world had ever known. 
You are living under the shadow of this Jewish culture where teachers of the law and synagogue rulers and all these magistrates and leaders that are in place. And then here you are, Jesus and the disciples. Even of your own people, you're not the highest level. You are like a lower level. Jesus was from Nazareth. They said nothing good comes from Nazareth. The disciples had been passed over. They were past their prime. They were already into a trade or craft. And Jesus invites them into this journey of coming and following him. They are not the elite of their time. And here they are, set out on this mission to bring God's kingdom to reality on earth. And I guarantee if you and I were walking with Jesus, we would have probably looked much like the disciples and we're like, man, I don't know if anything we're doing is really making an impact here. I mean, our, our, our reach is so small. It's just a handful of people here or there in these small towns. And look, I mean, the whole world needs Jesus. Well, how, how, how does this work? If you're taking notes and following along, I think this is important. One of the greatest lies of the enemy is trying to get you to believe that your ordinary, everyday faithfulness and obedience are not enough to bring about significant kingdom impact. It's one of the greatest lies of the enemy. Now, you're not doing enough. What you're doing doesn't matter. Can I tell you, I am preaching to Pastor Matt this morning. I am an achiever. I like to go and do stuff. And no matter how good it is, in my mind, it's not enough. Anybody else kind of wired that way? I live that way. And I have to tell myself, my job, I'm not responsible for transformation or doing something big. I am responsible for being faithful and obedient. And God transforms lives. I'm not, I can't make seeds grow, right? I can't bring in a harvest. All I can do is what I have in my hand, right? This is all that I have control over. What do I do with what I've been given in my hand. But the enemy tells you this, you know what? You need to make a splash. You need to do something big. If you can't see the fruit of your labor or the harvest, then it, man, nothing's happening. If other people don't see it and acknowledge it and pat you on the back for it, it's not worth it. You need to do something big. You need to leave a legacy. And I guarantee you these disciples walking around on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee thought to themselves, I don't know if I'm doing anything significant. To which Jesus responds, giving us Matthew chapter 13. And I'm so glad that Matthew chapter 13 is in the Bible. Why does Jesus speak in parables? I've thought about this even from my undergrad years about parables. Parables do two things. They reveal or they conceal, right? It's a good way to remember it. They reveal or conceal. If you're living in God's kingdom, if you're under God's rule and reign, then what parables do, Jesus would teach, and they would open your eyes to the way God designed and created the world to operate. If you're not living under the rule and reign of King Jesus, then these parables, then the truth is concealed from you. It's like your eyes are are blinded, your heart is darkened to really understand what's happening. And so Jesus speaks in parables because those who are living in the kingdom will understand more, and those who are resistant to the kingdom will, will again reject what's happening here. And Jesus does that in Matthew chapter 13. And he talks, he, he starts with the parable of the sower and the seed. You remember this parable? The sower is scattering seed. And Jesus says, some fall on different kinds of soil. Some's a rocky soil. Some that falls on the path. There's no root. Some the, the cares of life and the thorns choke it away. All these things. And then some fall on the good soil. Here's the part of the story Jesus is, is really wanting us to get. The unusual or the spectacular part of this story is the extraordinary harvest that comes from good soil. This is really what Jesus is getting to. And remember, he's preaching to his disciples. 
It's not one plus one equals two, Jesus says. It's not that you planted one seed so one stalk of grain shoots up. He says, no, there's a multiplicative effect to the kingdom that when a seed falls on good soil, it produces a crop and a harvest that is beyond your wildest imagination. Matthew chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus says, Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Matthew 13, verse 23, But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Jesus is not trying to get specific. He's not saying sow the seed and it'll be 35% return. He's saying when you sow a seed, you would not believe how in the kingdom of God it's multiplied over and over again, beyond what you can calculate, right? One act of sacrifice, one act of service, one act of kindness is not just one act. It is more. It has a ripple effect for the kingdom. You don't even know what your one act will lead to. You may never see the full effect of it. Jesus goes on in Matthew 13. He tells a parable about the weeds, or actually a really difficult parable to understand, where he talks about the righteous and the wicked will coexist together in this age, but one day in the age to come, they will be separated. Those who have rejected Jesus will continue uh, in separation from him, and those who uh, have chosen Jesus and to live under his kingdom will come into his presence forever. Then Jesus tells Two more parables in Matthew 13, verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Again, this parable is working on multiple levels, but imagine you are a disciple and you're walking with Jesus and Jesus is specifically trying to get them to understand why what they're doing in the moment matters, right? Jesus likens the kingdom to a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, or a small lump of yeast that grows from inauspicious, seemingly insignificant beginnings to attain much greater size has much greater size or more widespread influence than many, would, than many would have ever suspected it to have. The mustard seed being the smallest seed, and yet when it's fully grown, the birds can perch in its branches. And he says, a small lump of yeast put into 60 pounds of flour. I'm not a baker, but that seems like a lot. He says, but look what a little bit can do. What is Jesus trying to get them to understand? You're already there. You already understand this. He's trying to say what we're doing in this moment may seem small and insignificant, but it's not. We are planting the seeds for a gospel movement that will transform the world as we know it. And you can't see it in the moment because you see with your physical eyes, but in the spiritual realm, God is moving, the spirit of God is going forth, and God will take your small, seemingly insignificant step of faith, and he will exponentially multiply it for his kingdom, amen? The truth that God wants to reveal to his disciples, it doesn't work by addition. It works by multiplication. So one act of kindness. Can I tell you in a world that right now is angry and mad, one act of kindness can be transformative? In a world that no one wants to be, wants to be a flight attendant because flight attendants get punched nowadays, right? I mean, it, it, like all these incidents and things like that happening. 
I was talking to someone on a plane the other day about it, and she was like, everybody's just always on edge. Like, they're already right there to the edge. And so any little thing, like one act of kindness can be transformative. One sacrifice. One gift that you give somebody. One disciple that's made can have a ripple effect. One church that we plant. We're going to continue to plant churches every year. One of the greatest legacies of our church are not what God does in here, but what God does through us out there to plant churches all over the world. One word that is spoken. Do you know people are hungry right now for someone to speak life and truth? Some of the deepest desires that people want to be affirmed down to the deepest level of who they are. And one word can be transformative. One car ride that you give somebody. One visit. We have an incredible construction team that we're working with, with Thompson Construction. They have just been over and above in every aspect of our church project. And um, we have several people that are on their, on their team that are working closely with us. And I went into the building last week, and I didn't see one of the guys that's always there and kind of asked about him, and they were really vague. And then we get a call, Pastor Jim and I, saying, uh, Mike's in the hospital. They actually, he's got stage four uh, colon cancer. And we've had a handful of interactions with Mike. I have no idea his background, what he believes, where he's from. But I do know this, that um, in, in these moments that people are often searching. And so, I mean, I, I just pulled into St. Francis Hospital, go to the front desk. Hey, where's Mike so-and-so? He's on this floor, walk in the door. Hey, Mike, Matt Nelson, City Church. What are you doing here? Well, I heard what happened to you, and I just want to come by and check on you. And then 45 minutes later, you're talking about regrets in your life and things that you wish you could go back and do later. And how the only gospel that you ever knew was that your stepmom was a Jehovah Witness and that she made you go with her if you wanted to eat the lunch after their church. But you never really understood what the gospel was and you never felt like you were good enough to be in the room. And what the gospel really is and what the gospel's not. How many know the ripple effect of one word, of one act of kindness, of showing up in one place, it's amazing what God can do. One phone call or one text. One baby, one child, one teenager discipled. I see some of you city kids workers right now. You're holding babies in the back. We have more babies than we know what to do with right now. Come on now. We're about to help you out into a much larger space. Come on. Like on our bigger Sundays, there's like 20 babies back there. And you're thinking to yourself, I've got an hour and five minutes to try to keep this baby quiet. Let me tell you, you are sowing seeds of the kingdom. And you will never see... The harvest, <laughs> ever. All of you with the small kids, they ain't giving you any feedback, but you're doing it for the kingdom. And let me tell you, it's making a difference. One act of generosity. One step of obedience. See, this helps simplify things for me because I have a tendency to make things complex and I have a tendency to be really hard on myself. And you need to be doing more. There's more that you could do. You need to disciple your family more, your kids more. You need to spend more time here there. And here's what Jesus is saying. You know what? You do what you can with what you've been given every day. You be faithful with what's in your hand. You be obedient in every moment. And guess what? I'll take care of the rest. You don't have to go build a great legacy. All you have to do is be obedient every day to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Does that help out anybody else or just me? It helps simplify things, the complexity of my, uh, that I make things. Uh, when I was five years old, five, six years old, I was in first grade, about that time, like most people are. Uh, two of my grandparents lived in Pauls Valley, Oklahoma. Anybody know where that is? On I-35, if you drive through, they, had a, they ran oil wells down in South Oklahoma, Southwest Oklahoma. 
My other grandparents uh, were Assembly of God ministers at the Rock Assembly of God in Oklahoma City and uh, loved my grandparents. My, my, my grandpas were amazing men, heroes of mine. And uh, when I was in first grade, my grandpa that lived in Paul's Valley, uh, he got pancreatic cancer and it was found pretty late and, and he went really quickly and uh, passed away. And right after we found out that he had cancer, my other grandpa found out he had brain cancer and that it was not operable, and it wasn't quick with him, and I had to watch one of my heroes slowly deteriorate to the place where he had to preach sitting down, uh, to the place where he could no longer be, uh, be a pastor, to a place where he didn't recognize me when I walked in the room. And how many know that's hard when you're six years old, and you don't understand? And I didn't understand why this was happening to both of my grandpas, and my mom and dad are going through this struggle, and at that age, you're trying to, you're trying to make sense of things, and I, I was a really quiet kid, which means I didn't talk a whole lot. In fact, my mom would, took me to the doctor one time, and she was like, I can't get him to talk. I think something's wrong. And the doctor looked over at my only sibling, my older sister, and said, that's the reason uh, he won't talk, because she doesn't shut up. And he was right. Uh, she wouldn't let me talk. She would cut me off, and so I just stopped talking. And uh, nothing was wrong with me. It was her. Uh, love you, sis. Uh, and I, I remember just trying to make sense of it and not talking about it. And my mom was like, she knew I needed to talk about it, but I wouldn't. It was just kind of shut down. And uh, my first grade teacher was Miss Dumbleton. Come on, that's the best first grade teacher name. I think we have a picture of Miss Dumbleton right here. Come on, look at that. If your first grade teacher didn't have shoulder pads like that, she wasn't legit. First grade, Pastor Matt there. And I remember... Uh, yeah, that does look like my son, doesn't it? My, my son Jackson, that's his mini-me. Um, I remember being in that first grade room struggling, and Miss Dumbleton would take me outside of the room. She knew what I was going through, and she would pray with me uh, every week. And I remember her. And she went to this pastor's, conference, pastor's teacher's conference one time, and she bought a book, What to Do When, when a Loved One Dies. And she gave it to me, and she said, I want you to go home, and I want you to go through this book with your mom and dad. And so I remember writing down, like, uh, my best experiences with my grandpas. And as I began to write that down, I just began to cry. And all the things that had been inside came out. And when I was a pastor in Oklahoma City, uh, I preached a message one time, and I invited Miss Dumbleton to come, and she was sitting in the seats like this. And I told the story, and I had her stand up, and she was like, I don't remember any of this. And I was like, I know you do. It was 20 years ago. But your one act of kindness made a significant impact on my life. And how many know you will never often hear the stories? And most of the time, someone's not going to bring you into a room like this and say, hey, stand up because, you know what, in 1992, you did something for a little kid. Right? You're not, you're not going to hear that, but it's the mul multiplicative effect of the kingdom of God, isn't it? That God takes one sacrifice, one act of kindness, one word, and he multiplies it for significant kingdom use. So I don't know about you, but here's what I want to do. I want to spend the rest of my life sowing as many seeds of the kingdom of God as humanly possible. Amen? I want to take my everyday, ordinary, what God has placed in my hands, and I want to say, God, if there is a, a word that can be spoken, if there's a visit that I can make, if there's a text that can be made, you know what? I want to do it. And I'm not going to hitch myself to the result. I don't care if, 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 if not, because here's what I've learned as a pastor. It's not all good soil, <laughs> right? You can't make somebody grow. 
But I do know this, if you plant enough seeds of the kingdom of God, they will land on good soil. It will produce a harvest. There is a ripple effect of the kingdom of God. I mean, think about it. The life of Jesus was rather obscurity. It was a small little area of the world. And yet when, his, when he died and, and, and rose from the dead and ascended, it, there was a few disciples that were there. Then in the book of Acts, as we fast forward a little bit, there are 120 disciples sitting in an upper room. This is not a movement yet. This is 120 people in an upper room. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls. Peter gets up and preaches in front of the masses and 3,000 people come to know Jesus and the church is born. Remember this? And we don't have time to trace all of this, but Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Acts chapter 5, verse 14, more men and women came to believe the gospel. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, so the word of God spread and the disciples increased. And in the book of Acts, you know what we get? This multiplicative, exponential multiplication beginning to happen right before our eyes. That Paul would begin to go plant churches all over the world. Over the next century, this small, obscure movement on the northern sea of Galilee would become a worldwide, global movement that would forever change the trajectory of human history. Amen? Because the, because the kingdom of God does not move by addition, but through exponential multiplication. This is how God's kingdom comes. So when we ask ourselves, what should I be doing with my life? What's my calling? What's my purpose? This is a lot of young people come to me. They're like, what should I be doing with my life? What do you have right now in your hand and what can you do with it? Not what do you want to do one day? Not when you're ducks in a row, not when you have your degree, not when you come to a certain financial point. I have young people come up to me. They're like, how'd you become a pastor? I, I believe I'm called to ministry. I faithfully served in a church as an intern for four years and never got paid. Do you want to do that here? Because we would love your free labor. Uh, I was thinking something a little bit quicker than four years, right? No, I, I gave myself to a place, everything that I had, set up and tear down team. And this is, we didn't have on-site storage. So I drove the trailer up to the church at 530 to set up 400 chairs. Four years, right? What do you do with what you've been given? Don't tell me what you want to do one day. Tell me what you're doing right now with what's in your hand. Because here's how God operates. If you take what is in your hand and you begin to use it for kingdom purposes, guess what God does? He enlarges it. Man, you know what? You took really good care of that 1992 Toyota Corolla. I'm going to upgrade you to a 2002. Come on now. I don't know if that's what God does. But God takes what you give him and he blesses you. I can trust you with this, right? Right? You, you've done something with the talents and the abilities that I've given you. And I truly believe this, that God directs our future with how we handle the present. God will direct your path and he'll begin to lead you down to the places and the calling and the gifts as you begin to use them in the places that you're in. Matthew chapter 14, if you go to the next chapter, Jesus again uses this concept of exponential multiplication. He takes a young boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. And what does he do? He multiplies them to the masses. Again, Jesus showing us that I can take the little that you have and I can use it to do something significant in the world around you. This is why we do microchurch. A lot of people don't understand microchurch. Microchurch is just a community of people committed to living the way of Jesus. It's different than a small group. Why is it different? Because a small group is a lot of times about you and the community that you want around you, a microchurch is about living out God's mission. A, a community is never going to be perfect. 
People go to a small group and they're like, well, I visited two times. And I didn't meet my best friend. Well, guarantee, guess what? That's life, right? It's not about meeting your best friend. It is about you being around a group of people and you're committed to living the way of Jesus. And when someone starts a microchurch, let me tell you exactly what we do. We look at your natural social networks. Where do you go? Where do you live? Where do you play? What, are, what has God burned, burdened you with? And how can you take the gospel into those places? You know how we start? We start by praying. You're like, oh, that's really, that's really deep. Do you know what happens when you begin to pray for God to open doors in your life? I'm telling you, try it. Pray for God to open the doors in the places that you go and see what God's doing because guess what? God's already at work around you. He's already at work in the life of your coworker that you don't even like. God lo- loves him and is at work in his life. And God will begin to move. And then you begin to look for an opportunity to serve them an act of kindness. You begin to look for these opportunities to build relationships, a spiritual conversation. Your, your coworker or your friend or someone, they have a loved one, they have a mom or dad that passes away and you step into that space and just one act of kindness, you give them a $100 gift card to, to DoorDash to say, man, I, I just wanna bless you during this time. I'm praying for you. If there's anything that you need, I want you to know that I'm here for you. And the door begins to open. Are you with me? Like, this is how the gospel goes forth. This is how we reach people around us. This is how we make disciples. You begin to plant the smallest seeds, and you watch as those seeds begin to grow. Sometimes you will plant seeds in really, really difficult places. I have church planters that come to me sometimes, and they're like, what's wrong with me? Why, why can't I? Why, why isn't my church growing? They'll look at another church in an area that's having, uh, you know, just such high growth and just naturally taking off. What's wrong with me? And, and, and I look at them I'm like, you are planting a church in a city that is not only hesitant to the gospel, but is resistant to the gospel. They look at the church as homophobic and right-wing Christian nationalists, and they reject any gospel that you have, and you are going to have to love and serve your way into the heart of your city. Do you know how many, you know how many seeds that you're going to have to sow? A lot. Not only do you have to share the gospel, but you have to change the image that they have of Jesus and the church. And so you know what it's going to take? You loving and serving them over and over and over again before these walls begin to fall down. And that doesn't take days and weeks. That takes months and years. The greatest things you will do for the kingdom will take way more time than you want it to. Way more faithfulness, way more perseverance. But they will be the greatest things you give your life to. So many people don't see significant harvest of the gospel because they never stick around long enough to see it. We uproot ourselves so quickly from things that are difficult or hard or we need to transition that we never see significant move of the gospel. I look at our church planners and I'm like, there is a reason that God has called you to Seattle, Washington because Seattle, Washington needs the gospel and it's not gonna be easy because you can throw up a sign on the door that says 10.30 a.m., come worship with us. Guess what? Nobody cares in Seattle. They just don't. And you're going to have to serve your way into the city. And you're going to have to build relationships and have conversations. And God is at work and God will be with you. Let me ask you these five questions as we end this morning. Do you want to be known or do you want to make a kingdom impact? Is this about you or is this about the kingdom of God? Is this about you getting the pat on the back on what you need? Is this about you gaining influence or is this about his story? I recently read something, 75% of kids and young teenagers, what do you want to be when you grow up? They said an influencer, like a social media influencer. (laughs) Right? 
And we don't need more famous people. We need more kingdom people, Jesus people, who when you are given a platform, you use it, you have the character to sustain it. You use it for kingdom purposes. Do you want to make a splash? Or are you willing to faithfully persevere? And I'll add this next part, in obscurity. Yeah, that's real sexy, isn't it? Nobody wants to faithfully persevere in obscurity. And yet some of the greatest work that God does is people who are behind the scenes, faithfully persevering. All these letters that Paul writes, you remember all those people in there that, he, that we don't even know what they did? And he's like, you remember, what's his name? Epaphras? He's continually contending for you in prayer. We don't know anything else about Epaphras, but he was a prayer warrior. You know Nympha? She opened up her home to the church and the church met in her home as did Lydia, as did a ton of women in the New Testament. They opened their homes to the church and the church launched from these places. They used what they had. It wasn't about making a splash. It was about being faithful and obedient. Will you persevere in obedience even if you never see the harvest or if someone else reaps the harvest from your seeds? Yeah, that's hard, isn't it? I want to see the harvest. I want to know what, what's happening. Well, what if you just plant the seeds and someone else comes in and reaps the harvest? Are you okay with that? Because the kingdom of God grows. Amen? I had to cross that bridge a long time. I don't care if city church is the largest church. I want to see the kingdom of God grow in Tulsa. That's why about 40 pastors coming tomorrow, about 10 of them are from Tulsa. And I hope and I pray that God moves in these Tulsa pastors and they go back to their churches all over our city and, they, and their church grows. Amen? Because the kingdom of God goes forth. And people are, and disciples are made, and it's not about us, it's not about me, it's about what we get to do. Are you waiting on something big? Are you willing to use what is in your hand right now? You have something to give right where you're at. Do you believe that small acts of obedience can bring God's kingdom to reality on earth? Do you believe it? Because let me, let me say this, if you're just watching the news if you're just scrolling through social media, there's a tendency to think the kingdom of God is not growing. Like darkness is overtaking the world and we are hopeless and lost. But let me tell you this, the kingdom of God is moving forward here and across the world. The church will never be stopped. God is doing significant work. And I don't know about you, but this takes the pressure off of me. Younger Matt would feel the need to go make something happen. I'm just being honest with you. Like if nothing was happened, I'm going to go make something happen. I'm going to create it. I can strategize it. I'm a builder. I'm, I'm good at that. I can do it. Let's, let's figure it out. Age and maturity spiritually has said, I don't have to go make something happen. I have to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? And if I'm faithful and obedient with what is in my hand, God will lead me where I need to go. He will lead our church where we need to go. Amen? It's why for years, do you know how many times people have said to me, how old are you as a church? Oh, we're six, we're seven, we're 10. Are you guys ever going to be in your own building? Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. We were content to not to make it happen. Some of you know, we have been pursuing that building for five years. Five that's a long time to pursue it. We're not going to make it happen. We're going to wait. We're going to be patient. We're going to be obedient. You have your own stories in your life. We have to be patient. You have to wait, be obedient. 
every day to what God's doing. Would you stand to your feet with me across this room? In just a minute, we're going to take communion. If you want to begin to prepare, you can. Let me remind you how Jesus ends Matthew chapter 13. He ends with the two shortest parables that Jesus ever preaches. He says, a guy was going through a field. He found this incredible treasure. He went and sold everything to buy the field for the treasure. Another man was searching for the pearl of great price, the greatest pearl. He said when he eventually found the pearl, he went and sold everything he had, got all the cash, all the money that he had to go buy the pearl. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is worth it. That's how he ends Matthew 13. The kingdom of God is worth giving everything that we have. If you have attached yourself to a lesser story, your next step is repentance for putting something else on the throne of your heart and we're all guilty. Then we take what's in our hand and we say, God, would you use what I have right now for, for the kingdom? Would you use what is in my hand in this moment? Not where I wanna be, not what I hope to have, but God, here's what I have. My everyday, ordinary, inauspicious, behind the scenes, in obscurity. Here's what I have, I give it to you. Holy Spirit, we ask in this moment that you would speak to our hearts. God, that you would illuminate God's word into our hearts. Speak to us, lead us, guide us. God, if we have attached ourselves to lesser stories, God, we are sorry. God, we repent. God, we attach ourselves to the greatest story, the mission of God. We partner with you on what you are doing to redeem the world and to bring your kingdom to earth. God, every place that we go, every room that we walk in, we wanna bring your kingdom there, Father. God, we ask that you would move in us and through us. I want to take a minute to do this. As I was in this time of prayer in first service, I felt the Holy Spirit speak very, very clearly to me that there were people in the room who there's been times in your life where you've risked much for the kingdom of God and you've lived this life of adventure, walking with the Holy Spirit, but for some reason, you started to play it safe. You started to insulate yourself from any kind of risk from stepping out in faith, from going anywhere that's uncomfortable. And I just really felt led today to pray for you. Some of you have taken the talents and you have buried them in the ground and the Holy Spirit wants to resurrect the spirit of adventure inside of you today, to go into places with the gospel, to be obedient even when it's uncomfortable, to take what's in your hand and use it for the kingdom and not to play it safe, but to say, God, here it is. Some of you in the room, that's where you're at this morning. And I'm not gonna ask you to come forward or raise your hand, but I wanna pray for you right now that God would recover a a spirit of courage. God, I pray that for this group of people right now, that you have not called us to play it safe, to go bury our talents in the ground, but to use them for your kingdom. And God, we read from the apostle Paul, sometimes that means we walk through heartache and struggle and that sometimes we feel abandoned or without food or all these things happen to the Paul. You were still with him and your grace will see us through, Father. God, I pray for people in this room to recover a sense 
of courage and adventure in the Holy Spirit to step out of what is comfortable and where you are calling them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples in an upper room and he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. I will be ripped apart so that you could be put back together. Let's take the body of Christ together. Jesus took the cup, shed blood, poured out for them. One day you and I will stand before the creator of the universe and he will not see our sin, amen? He will see the blood of Jesus, the free gift of grace that we have received. Let's take together. If you would take the next few seconds and practice thankfulness and gratitude for what Jesus has done. Father, we thank you that we were not worthy and yet you loved us. God, thank you, God, that we were not deserving and you poured out your grace on us. God, let our life be an overflow of thankfulness, of joy, not of entitlement, but of contentment and gratitude. Father, we pray. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Ask our prayer team to come forward, any of our elders in the room. If you need prayer for anything this morning, maybe you walked in with something, something for you or something else, please don't leave before you stop and pray with one of our team. They would love just to minister to you, agree with you in prayer. If you're a first time guest, I'd love to meet you in the welcome room just across the lobby, just 30 seconds of your time. We have a free gift for you. If you've never been to dinner with the staff tomorrow night, we would love to get to know you more. It's kind of the first step on church becoming family. We'd love to see you there. Let's end with our mission statement and go live it this week, wherever you are. Be the gospel. Be the gospel.